We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 524 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Ben Hilton, and he's Rafa Aldemui, and this is El Clasico Review. So if you just came from watching my five headlines or listening to my five headlines, which were recorded before the press conferences, you might not have heard anything from the managers or anything that the teams have said afterwards. So Rafa, most importantly, this is the first thing I want to come out of your mouth. What did you, if anything, learn from those press conferences from Ancelotti and, and Xavi afterwards? I mean, Xavi basically said what, in my opinion, I think every culé thought after the game that we let them come out alive after the first half, that we play great and that we just didn't have punch. Basically, we should have... It's a game that we should have won 2-0, 3-0, or at least should have been up 2-0 or 3-0 even before Bellingham's shot up from outside the box. And Ancelotti basically admitted that, that during the first half, Barcelona were way better than them. But then that's what happens in football. Like, there's a saying in Spanish, goles que no haces, goles que te hacen, which means the goals that you don't score are goals that then are scored upon you. And that's basically what the gist of both Ancelotti and Xavi were during the press conferences. Yeah, I, I think that, I say that sums it up, but that's what it was. It was that Barcelona with a better team on the front foot, arguably had their best first half of the season against Real Madrid. They, they really were on the front foot. And, you know, it was funny because coming in, I think part of the narrative was that both these teams kind of weren't at their best. Barcelona has a bunch of the injuries, even Real Madrid. They've had Courtois, they had Militao, like, I mean, they're, they're attack-wise, this is what they signed up for this season without Benzema. But Benzema also scored 70% or whatever it was of their goals in El Clasico last season as well. It's like five of the nine or whatever that number is. So you got the sense that both Real Madrid and Barcelona like, aren't the best versions of themselves heading in El Clasico. And yet this game was played at a very high level. And it's this weird thing of I'm afterwards between two minds. Like We're talking big picture here before we really get into the nitty-gritty here. But big picture-wise, one of the questions for Xavi is, can you manage and are you the right manager for big moments and big games for FC Barcelona? And the weird thing was that the answer is yes and no at the same time. Because in this game, it, what El Clasico could have been was me watching two teams that are not the elite of Europe. Like you watch whoever you want to call the elite of Europe right now, Bayern or Man City, the usual faces and even arguments for Arsenal or Tottenham or whatever it is, like whoever you say is the lead of Europe right now. And you watch those games it's like, okay, this is what a, an elite team is supposed to look like. And when those two teams meet, that's what that's supposed to look like. 
And I felt like you were watching two of the very best teams, maybe not on form, but in terms of the highest ceiling that they can play at. I think that would be the most diplomatic way to say that. Both teams had over 500 completed passes in this game. Possession was 53-47. And somebody, I I wish I could give credit here, but I, I saw this online. Somebody said that when it comes to elite football, you aren't going to control the whole game. When you're facing an elite team, and Real Madrid is such, when you're facing elite teams, you're never going to control a whole match. And can you win in the moments of momentum? That is what decides how many points you get and what kind of result you get. And Barcelona, as we mentioned, they dominated for 42 of the 45 or 47 minutes in that first half. It was all them all the time. That's all they did. And big picture-wise, it's this weird thing where I come out of it saying, I, I'm not to neuter it. It's just me being defensive as a Kool-Aid and people are going to say that the sky is falling. Barcelona lost 3-1 to Real Madrid in the Liga last October. And at that point in the season, they were five points behind Real Madrid or... I think Chad, they asked Xavi during the press conference, and I think he said, I, I, I don't remember myself, but I think he said after that game, they were three points behind Real Madrid, and now they're four points behind Real sure. Madrid. Yeah, yeah, and, and Girona and Atletico Madrid, and there are other teams that take points off both of these big teams too, but big picture-wise, yes, Real Madrid and Barcelona, well, Barcelona, I should say, with all the injuries they currently are having and sustaining and who wasn't available for this match, again, I'm not that concerned at the end of October four points behind Real Madrid. If they can get to even January within three to five points of first place in La Liga, whether that's Girona or Real Madrid or Atletico Madrid, regardless, then they've survived what should be their most injured part of the season when they're building and figuring something out. That is my silver lining here before we talk about all the negative, because I know a lot of negative is coming. So I'm just kind of getting that big picture stuff that three points lost to Real Madrid was, was terrible. But it's what I said a week ago against Atletico Madrid, uh, Atletico Club rather. Those three points against Athletic Club were huge. And the three points against Real Sociedad potentially next weekend are huge. Like those points are so as important as El Clasico, with the exception of you're not against a rival that's right at the top of the table with you. Yeah, I, I agree. And the, I want to make this clear. The same way I and we and everybody, like, when Barcelona wins a game, and we play like trash. We don't control the game. We concede a lot of vacations. We come here, obviously, or you talk about it with someone else, or my, myself on my YouTube channel, and we are autocritica. I don't know if that's in English. Uh, it's like self-critical. I don't know how you say that in English. But basically, when we play like trash, still end up winning, whether it's 1-0, like the game against Porto. That was a horrible game that we didn't even deserve to win. And when we came out, we won the three points. We were happy we won them, but mm -hmm. we were self-critical and said, hey, we were lucky to come out, out of Porto do Dragao with those three points. So now I want to do the same, but just flip it. Yes, I know this is may sound crazy to some people because we just lost to Real Madrid at home. Jude Bellingham, two goals, one in basically the last minute of the game, but we played an amazing game for almost the entire game, or at least however you want to look at it, glass half full, glass half empty, but the majority of the game, whether that was 60, 65, 70 minutes, however you want to put it, but we played an incredible game. And the same way we're criticizing Xavi a lot of the times because this team doesn't play well, yada, yada, which I have done that myself. Then when we do play amazing then we got to give this team props. Xavi, uh, the defense 
was really freaking good. Inigo ended up with uh, Christensen, Araujo obviously playing as a right back, and then Valle, I thought the defense was really good for the first, what, 50-60 minutes. The midfield with Cancelo dropping down, playing at that hybrid winger, then dropping in the middle, helping out Gabi, Gundogan, and Fermin. I think those three played amazing. And sometimes, and I've been pretty critical of Gabi, offensively speaking, that, hey, he needs to give us more with the ball at his feet. And I have no shame in saying that he was amazing today. Gundogan was really good. Fermin, I mean... Fermin De Bruyne. I'm going to start calling him Fermin De Bruyne because he was amazing again. And that's why it's so, like, I'm trying to look at the glass half full and it does bother me because we should have won that game easily. That game before Bellingham's long shot that I thought Ter Stegen should have done better, we should have been up at least, at least 2-0. So, We controlled the game. It wasn't because on my chat, I was live after the game. I read some people, oh, Barcelona had possession, but they didn't do anything with the ball. No, that's lies. We had the ball, and we controlled the game. Every 50-50 ball we were getting back, we were creating chances. After the, the Fermin had the an incredible chance to make it 2-0 right after we went up 1-0. So we played great, and I don't want – that's what I'm saying, that I don't want the result – of the game and us being frustrated. Oh, we lost against Real Madrid at home to take away from the fact that the team played great. Yes, we didn't play great for 90 minutes, but I completely agree with you. One against top tier teams. It's almost impossible to play perfect for 90 minutes. And on top of that, we also got to remind ourselves all the injuries that we do have the players that quote unquote came back. They haven't played a single minute after they were injured. And to me, that was the difference in those last 20 minutes. We we didn't have the depth in our bench for those 20 minutes to match up with Madrid. What they were bringing in were players that were already match fit. Us, Rafinha, or even Lewandowski and Oriol Romeo. Sadly, once again, I know we're going to get into that, but, and I don't want to be like too harsh on him because he is what he is, but he's shown for the past few weeks, that sadly, we're seeing someone that at first we thought, oh my, he might be serviceable. But during the past few weeks, he hasn't been serviceable at all. So what do we end up doing with him? Or how can we improve this season without having any margin whatsoever in the salary cap? I have no idea. So it's I just want to presence of mind of everyone to know what Xavi had on the bench because it was either Oriol Romeo or Mike Casado. So I can't blame Xavi for bringing Romeo instead of Mike Casado. It's just, it is what it, it is what it is. And it's just what we had on our bench. The ugly truth. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Yeah, you know, it, it does sting. And I thought about why it stung because I'm looking back at El Clasico results right now and I take myself all the way back, and thankfully I have notes all the way back here, to April of 2016 when Barcelona lost 2-1 at home with Cristiano Ronaldo getting the winner in the 85th minute. PK had the early goal that made it 1-0. Benzema gets the, the 1-1. That was the last time I'm looking through the results that I felt like Barcelona with a better team on the day and did not get any result. The rest of them either ended in a, in a draw in some way, 1-1, 2-2, 0-0, or I thought Real Madrid were the better side. And if Barcelona were the better side, I felt like, again, look at the 4 the 4 nothing Spanish Super Cup, and, or the, sorry, the 2-1 Super Cup last year. Well, anyway, you get the point. Well, there's three, three, one, whatever the score of that game was. <laughs> anyway, uh, even in, in the results recently, when Barcelona were better, they got the result. And when they weren't, then Real Madrid got the result. But I, again, you go back to 2016, where I felt like the last time when Barcelona were not as good, also with the exception of that one nothing in the first leg of the Copa del Rey. But I would argue that defensively, Barcelona played their best game they've ever played in the club's history in that match. And that's just a weird one. I don't want to talk about that one. So you get my point. But when Barcelona are better than Real Madrid, they get the result. And when they're not, they lose the result. And this is, this is why this one stings. Like, this is why this one hurts. Because Barcelona, as you said, Fermin Lopez hits the post. Inigo Martinez hits the post. Araujo's shot is saved by Kepa. Aron Araujo is dragged down. You know, I've been so... This is why, this, listen, this is why I walk the tightrope with VAR. This is why I do it for moments like this. <laughs> I walk that tightrope constantly saying... Hey, you know, give the ref, give VAR credit. Here's what I think that they were seeing. Here's what's happened. So that I can have moments like this where I get to say, Ronda Rajo had a play on that ball. Tuamani's arm did not allow him to jump. He was brought down. That's a penalty. That is it. That's it. VAR, even if the ref does not call that in live time, because that's fair. A lot of times in the box, more physicality is allowed by the head official. Fine. But VAR, after the, I put this more in VAR than Manzano. Like people are going to, try to connect those two and say, well, Manzano has to call that foul right away or see that or whatever. I did. <laughs> well, sure. But to me, this is on VAR. This is why VAR exists for moments like this. Because I understand that a, that a head ref is going to allow more physicality, especially with big bodies like Chomani and Araujo. Like those are some big dogs up there in the penalty box. But Araujo, unless VAR really truly believes and has a, a meter stick or a yard stick or whatever, I can say that Araujo had no play on that ball I think he did have a play on that ball, and I think he is dragged down, and I think that that is a penalty for that reason. And because that doesn't go Barcelona's way, like, again, those small margins in this game, and, and again, it's good Carmen Bard, Carmen too, because Ferran Torres deserved a red card seconds later for that rugby tackle on, on Vinny, uh, Vinny Jr. He did. Like, he deserved a red card for that tackle 
because there was nothing football related to that tackle at all. And so it's almost like, okay, well, you didn't get the PK, but we didn't give you the red either. But that's one of those weird things where like, but if you get the PK, then that tackle for Torres never happens because then there's no counter coming, right? And it's like, you could go through these hypotheticals and, and over and over and over about it being a, a game of moments. And I do feel like, unlike Porto, as you said, in these games of games of moments is where I say that Barcelona need to improve, sure, but that it's a good thing that Barcelona are playing games of moments. Now, I do want to talk a bit about the more nuanced stuff that I did hit with five headlines about the moments that we're talking about. We mentioned Gabi and some of the lessons for Xavi to learn here. I think the Ordo Romeo thing is kind of set in stone now. When you have bigger matches and De Jong and Pedri coming back will also change this and create new questions. But I think in the interim, before De Jong and Pedri or however long they're out or whatever, you can play Gabi deeper over Ordo Romeo. You can play Gundawan in that, we'll say, double pivot or whatever, because that's another thing about Xavi, as we say here. Xavi got not even his substitutions wrong, but he lost control of that match. And Modric and Real Madrid, particularly Modric coming into that game, and Kamavinga coming in for Mendy and coming inside a bit more and overloading the midfield, because that was the difference in the contest. First half, Barcelona's midfield dominated the game. Gundawan gets the goal, the fifth goal scored by a German in Barcelona history. His best first half of the season for Barcelona, easy. Gundogan was awesome. And Gabi was better than Bellingham in the first half. And, and I say that as a, it's not 19 or 20-year-old. It was a best player on Barcelona in the first part of this season, Gabi, against the best player for Real Madrid in the first part of their season, Be- Bellingham. And Gabi was perfect in knowing when to press or press the ball, we'll say, away from Bellingham and kind of hand him off and when to be his shadow and man mark him and track him. Gabi was so smart. Like, you go back to when players used to do that with Messi because that makes it hard. Like, when guys, and not, I'm not comparing Bellingham to Messi, but I am in a way that when it was man marking Messi and teams tried that approach, it was a lot about trying to just stay with him and never leave him, never leave him at all, which allowed Barcelona to have a numerical advantage elsewhere. But Gabi was so good this game about passing him off when he needed to and pressing the ball. But then again, just man marking him and being in his pocket and, and shadowing him and following him. And I thought Gabi was just excellent, 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 excellent. And yes, my man of the match, other than two times that Bellingham touched the ball in this game, Gabi was easily the man of the match uh, in this contest. And I think he has more than proven what he said a few days ago, that he could play in a deeper position. And Gundogan as well can help you with your attack and can affect the attack while also playing in a deeper position. So I think Or Romeu is now a substitute because then Diung is coming back into this starting lineup and where do you fit Pedri in as well with Fermin Lopez now more established? And I think as, as you mentioned too, with Fermin Lopez outplaying Tony Cruz in the first half, Tony Cruz is outplayed by Fermin Lopez. And when those things are happening, when Fermin Lopez is now not the same, I mean, I know he had that uh, Galazzo against Real Madrid in the friendly, but now with Fermin Lopez slotted in as a player you can trust, which you do now, and Gabi and Gundogan being able to play deeper, or Romeo is now a rotation piece. And it's not anything against him. Like if his long shot goes in, it isn't blocked by Alaba in that second half. Some of that narrative is different, but it's not. Like on that second goal, I don't know what Abreu was doing for the second time this week. Shakhtar Donetsk, that goal was scored because he did not follow his man into the box. And I know Bellingham had momentum, is taller, is a better athlete, is faster. But Romeo did not communicate with Inigo Martinez. That once that deflection goes off Modric, Inigo Martinez was in the right spot at the, at the front post. I'm talking about the winner here to clear that ball. And because that deflection happens, he's out of position. The ball falls fortuitously, of course, to, to Bellingham. There was some luck there, but Romeu 
you've got to continue moving with him. Like you, you, you his hips were not move, were not turned quick enough to follow him into the box. Like I think he was expecting Renega Martinez to be in that spot in case Bellingham was, and that deflection throws it all off. But I don't know for the second time this week, I'm saying, Romeo, how are you not getting into the mixer? How are you not getting into the position to try to cut out that run in behind you? It's second time in a week. Yeah, and and what what I mean, I know we were talking about Bellingham a little bit, but that's what. It just bothers me because he didn't do absolutely anything throughout the entire game. And to me, I know I'm going to sound like a bitter culé, but he's basically, like today, he's a glorified Paulinho. Like, he didn't do absolutely anything in midfield. Like you said, Gabi was really good at knowing when to when to pass him to another teammate, when to press him. And basically, like, Bellingham didn't do anything in the midfield. He couldn't turn. Basically, he wasn't going by anybody. Everything he did was just basically passing it backwards and whatnot. The the impact that he had, which we all we can all agree that going forward, especially he's really good. So that's why jokingly with my friends from Real Madrid, I say that oh he's a great forward. Don't get me wrong, he's an amazing forward. But in the midfield, Fermin was better than him. Gabi was better than him. Gundogan was better than him. Like he didn't do anything. He didn't create anything in the midfield. Yes, he had a long shot. That I I'm gonna say again. I thought Terry Stegen should have done better. And then the last goal. Well, actually, I actually disagree with you a little bit here. I've been watching Jude Bellingham all year, and this kid is a is a superstar in the moments. Like he is doing things that Zidane never did. He is doing things that I mean, you name the Real Madrid legend. Like 12, 12 goals in thirteen games is is not a fluke. And I think to your point, I don't want to take anything away from Bellingham because I, I actually kind of disagree on the second thing. I think that ball was moving like that thing was fast and it was moving and the real problem came there was that when Gabi headed that ball away and wasn't the one pressing him then nobody moved to him so Christensen was 15 yards away and realized oh no that's me and Fermin Lopez trying to move over so in that instance it was just again bad luck whereas like if Gabi doesn't clear that then Barcelona probably cleared that by somebody else and Gabi's able to be closer to Bellingham on any kind of other deflection but because he wasn't, then Bellingham has a ton of time and space to really let. I mean, that was a, a fantastic, terrific goal. But what I will say to your point is that I find that the insult that you're looking for is more structured to Real, uh, structural to Real Madrid, that Bellingham keeps bailing them out and they know it. Like I, I was looking at Real Madrid pundits and stuff after the game and they were admitting what we're like. So I can just say what they're saying instead of saying it for like instead of trying to like speak for them, that they were saying that they are concerned after this match. That it's true. It's the end of October. And so far, Bellingham has bailed them out to the top of the Liga table. But you get the sense that, I mean, again, he has been the best Real Madrid signing in their history, mathematically so far. 20 years old, whatever you want to call it, without hyperbole, he has been the best player in the world for two months. But it is completely and, I mean, it is un, I mean, unattainable, but it is unsustainable. That's what I want. A completely unsustainable for Bellingham to continue to do this because the confluence of a superstar player getting extremely lucky, and that is creating the best player in the world at the moment. But it, it, it's unsustainable for him to be that lucky forever. It is, but th- the thing is, in the midfield, like what I'm trying to get at, he's not a Zidane-esque type of player, like so far, in my opinion, especially not in this game, that controls the game. He's not Madras, he's not Xavi. He, 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 obviously, goals are just coming out of his pockets, don't get me wrong. But in the midfield, it's not like, in my opinion, for the most part, he controls the entire game. He he spins this way, spins the other way, passes it, controls the game, like slows it down, speeds it up when he needs to. Like, he's not doing that. So to me, that's why, like, jokingly, in a way, 
I'm to my friends from my Real Madrid friends. I'm like, he's a great forward because, of course, when he gets up top, it's just it's a mixture of he's really good, and also he's getting so freaking lucky at the same time because that the yeah. second goal. What are the odds that Carvajal's cross bounces off Modric and just falls right into his path? That that's what I'm trying to get at. Like in the midfield, I wasn't worried about him because he wasn't doing anything. It wasn't until later that he drew. It was like unleashed the Kraken, and he just went forward. I was like, ah, oh, here we go. That's when I was worried, when he was near the box. But in the midfield, I wasn't worried like I am with Tony Cross. Yes, obviously, I know he's really old right now. I wasn't worried like I am with Modric. That controls, it's like a puppeteer. Like, he controls the game from the midfield. I'm not worried about Bellingham in that aspect. And I thought, if you, obviously, I know some people are like, in Spanish, we say resultaistas, who only look at the scoreboard. And that's it. You're going to say, oh, my God, take out the two goals. I know that may sound crazy. Just take out the two goals and the rest of the game. I didn't think Bellingham did anything. He didn't have this great game whatsoever in that aspect. I, I, I didn't fear him apart, obviously, from those two goals. So it wasn't like Modric. Modric never scores. Modric, it doesn't, it's not like he assists a lot, but... I'm scared of it in the midfield because he can control the entire game like that. I don't think Mellingham can. I'm not saying he can't in the, in the near future. I'm not saying that. But right now, and I th I certainly didn't think he did it in this game. So see, I, I just wanted to get that out of the way. And then about Ariel Romeo, I completely agree. I think he just doesn't have enough quality to be a starter mm -hmm. in this team. And when Pedri, when, especially when Frankie comes back, I, I agree with you. I think it's going to be a mixture of using a double pivot-ish of whether it's Frankie, a Gundogan, or Gabi. I think it's going to be a mixture of those those three, depending on who's available, who's fatigue, and whatnot. Because I don't think we're going to be seeing a lot of Oriol Romeo as a starter, and we're going to got to be realistic. It's not like we're going to be we're able to gonna bring in someone during the January transfer window, even even alone. So it, it's something that Xavi's going to figure, gonna have to figure out within because Ariel Romeo just doesn't have enough quality to be a starter and we're not going to be able to generate, hey, so we mend the, or, I mean, so we mend this impossible, mm -hmm. but just anybody that can be a little bit better than Romeo, I just don't see it. Well, yeah, I think with, this season, as the matches become, we'll say, more important and more significant, you're going to see less of our Romeo yeah. uh, because of his quality. I think that those things are going to work together. Again, with De Young potentially being healthier as well and not missing a whole month and a half here as he has in the fall. Same thing with Pedri, changing that entire balance as well. I, I think what's frustrating to me in this match, and I will go out on a limb and, and kind of, as I said, for as good as Barcelona played, Xavi could have won Barcelona this game because, I mean, I, I, we're complimenting the players, but I also still shot thought Xavi, as I said, got his game plan and his tactics, everything, formations, whatever, phases of play. I'll get into that in a second. That was all right from the opening whistle. Like his prep, his homework, all that stuff, he won that game at the opening whistle. However, halftime, adjustments, substitutions, taking advantage of what Real Madrid were then, again, when you put on substitutes, you're, you're taking something off. And very rarely, when you even say like for like, very rarely is something like for like. So by changing a profile on the field, there is an opportunity for you and your opponent. And I said, the, the, the Modric substitution 
I, that one is almost just a complete upgrade. I don't see how <laughs> he was just better than Tony Cruz in that game in all facets of the game. But that substitution, either way, changed the game. That meant that Barcelona then had to deal with Modric and that changed their formation, that changed their what they were doing, that changed the positioning of Balde as well in that second half. As I said, with Kamavinga too. But I think Xavi, as much as he won that game in the opening whistle, he lost that game in the second half. And I think Xavi is, this is one of those games where I think Xavi is the one sitting on the L as opposed to, you know, where there are other matches. I'm trying to think of an example, but even the Shakhtar Donetsk goal, as I mentioned, like that's not Xavi. That's like, if Shakhtar Donetsk came back in that game, I would have been like, or Romeo, what the heck happened there instead of Xavi. But this one, I actually do put on Xavi because it wasn't even the options he had. He put the options he had on the bench, on the field. Lewandowski for Ferran Torres, who put in a terrific shift, worked his tail off, exhausted, comes off. Lewandowski, fit enough to give you 30 minutes, but isn't going to press either. So he's on the field to take some pressure off in that final third. But if Barcelona don't have the ball, I don't like Lewandowski wasn't helping on the press. Like he wasn't shutting anything down when Barcelona are now defending in a 5 4 1 in a, a low block late in that game. And Lewandowski doesn't solve that problem. And then Rafinha and Lamine Mall, not that they were doing anything wrong, but I think. And somebody mentioned this too. I, I wish I had begun written these things down for, for credit, but they've got to switch. Rodrigo or whoever the right winger was, it didn't matter if it was Laminia Mall or Rafinha, they had to get in behind Kamavinga because that was the difference. In that first half, Cancelo didn't do much of anything. But then once Mendy goes off for Kamavinga, now Cancelo comes alive. And that was the best moment from Kamavinga in that game. He had the one where he was offside. I know he wound up skying it over, but anyway, like for me, Lopez played him in. He's offside. Because he wants the ball at feet, that being Cancelo, you know, against Kamavinga, it was kind of slowing things down a little bit. Or again, against Mendy, rather, it was slowing things down because Cancelo wants the ball to feet and isn't going to take Mendy on 1v1. But now there was so much more space with Kamavinga tucking inside that they had to exploit that right wing. So when Laminia Mall and Rafinha came on, that's not Rafinha either. Rafinha, through the half space, is going to take advantage of that space. But Alaba's playing up and that, that wasn't available. And Chuamani was shutting down that lane. So you've got to play in behind, out to the wing. And Lamine Mall should have played on the right wing, not on the left wing. So that was a point where I completely disagreed with Xavi. I know that Rafinha's, like the idea on paper is where he's more comfortable. And Lamine Mall is better on the left than Rafinha is on the left. And you could call it a wash on the right. There was a space to exploit. And Real Madrid cut, closed down that space, kept possession in. And Barcelona did not find the outlets they needed to. And I think that is a a moment in the game where Xavi kind of lost that substitution pattern and he lost control of the game and lost possession. I think, yes, Modric came on, changed the game as well. Bellingham got lucky, all those things. But I, I think this loss does partially go on Xavi for not being able to exploit what those substitutes for Real Madrid were then giving Barcelona. Yes, and the, and I, I was also surprised because I thought maybe we were going to see what we saw. I don't remember if it was against Celta de Vigo Oh, I don't remember against who, but when both Rafinha and Lamin played on the right with Rafinha tucking in a little bit inside so that they could have those one-twos and basically have one, two versus one against the, the opposing left back, this being Camavinga. So I thought they were going to replicate, Xavi was going to replicate that, like with Lamin being stuck to the to the sideline and Rafinha basically playing as a quote-unquote interior a little bit. So I was surprised when I saw Lamin literally go to the left as the left winger, him being left-footed. So, uh, yes, I agree with Camavinga tucks in so much that there was there was an opportunity with both. If I mean, obviously there were there was going to be risks, but with Lamina and Rafinha basically having two versus ones against Camavinga, 
that could have been something that could have been exploited. It didn't happen. Oriol Romeo obviously coming in also didn't didn't help whatsoever. But like I said, like literally the bench, and that's what I was trying to look at. Like Xavi's bench consisted of Mark Yu, Mark Casado, okay, Hector okay. Ford. You're gonna talk about the ledge here because I'm gonna throw some at you here. I got it. This sounds insane, but uh-huh. I don't know if I'm Xavi. Again, this would he would be maybe fired if he did this. But risk wise, high risk, high reward here. With the little that Lewandowski was pressing, did you have 14 more minutes, 75th minute? Because the Lewandowski comes on for Torres in the 61st. Do you have 14 more minutes out of Ferran Torres to get to the 75th minute and you put on... Mark Gill. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mark Gill. Do you put Mark Gill on the 75th to 78th minute? Because he is going to press more than Lewandowski is. And it's just like, what, would, what did that game need? You know what I mean? Like, it, it didn't need a 17-year-old. It needed experience. I agree. <laughs> like a hundred times out of a hundred, I understand the argument that Lewandowski makes a lot more sense than a 17 year old kid who just showed up. But in terms of what that game needed and the profile that it needed, I don't think it needed Lewandowski. I think it actually needed the kid who was going to press his legs out for 15 minutes. Yeah. But I think this is the, this is the problem that you always have with returning players from injuries and when to insert them in a game, especially a big game like this, knowing that obviously they're not fit enough to start the game. But when is it good enough to put them in? And on top of that, obviously we know like Rafinha, uh, Lewandowski, uh, I know Kunde didn't come in, but they haven't played a single minute since they got injured. Mm-hmm. So you always run the, this risk. Exactly. Like yeah. obviously on paper, you're putting in Lewandowski instead of Mike you a hundred times out of a hundred on paper. But then when you see what you saw during the game, you're like, like you just said, you're like, eh, would we would have been better off with Margiu pressing for those 50 minutes-ish? Maybe we could have been better off with Margiu. And that's that's the the risk that you put them in because of their the, their status, their name. But when they come in, then you quickly realize this is a guy that's 35 and is literally coming back from injury and, and hasn't played in, what, a month? A month and a half? I don't remember exactly when he when he got injured. Oh, Same with Rafinha. Like, I know there's not much you can play around with, and Rafinha, obviously, he runs around and gives you, the, I mean, he presses and whatnot, but at the same time, his end product, you we saw that, that this is a guy that hasn't played in a very long time, and his crosses and his decision-making and whatnot. So it's, I think this it's very tough for a manager. Like I, I would have been so surprised and basically standing ovation and kudos. If it works, it works. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. If yeah. Xavi had the, you know what, to put in Mark Gu instead of Lewandowski, I would have been really surprised. But I, at the same time, I can't blame him because it's, Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's such a daring move if he would have done that. So uh, it's also easy to make an excuse out of because you yeah. can really say Lewandowski wasn't ready. Yeah, there's 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 this world, but we watched him. I don't know if Lewandowski was was particularly ready. Yeah, but again, it's so hard because as much as I'm being critical of Xavi, it's like it, the reason why he's manager of FC Barcelona and the reason why I still believe he can win a bunch of trophies is because of the homework that he does and like the fact that. And was it was it Guardiola has been talking about this week? Ben um, Desarbi has been talking about this week. And oh, it was Arteta. Sorry, I want to give credit to the right manager. Arteta was the one who was mentioning 
very snidely a few weeks ago to a journalist where they asked him about formations and thing. He was like, well, we've got a ton of formations or 42 or whatever based on the different phases of a game. And, you know, when trying to pin down a formation in this game, that's kind of what it was. Like Xavi knew what he was doing from the opening whistle, a 4-3-3 in attack or a 5-3-2 when defending when it was uh, when Real Madrid got actual control. Like, I don't even know how they were dictating this. Usually it can be a number of passes. It could be a position on the field. And that's where the formation and the, the, the where players are in the different phases of the game. And it seemed like they were in that 5-3-2. They settled into a low block when they needed to with Cancelo dropping in. And then in the rare opportunity when they were really in the final third, they would attack in that 3-2-5. And they got forward in the right spots. And so what? whether they were in a 4-3-3 or a 5-3-2 or a 3-2-5 or what is a 3-2-4-1, I think I, I think I got my, my math right. Yeah, <laughs> or a 3-2-4-1, whatever you want to call like the default formation with Cancelo. It, it just... Xavi had covered all of his bases for 45 minutes. And then Ancelotti was like, okay, they're doing this. So we need to enter these players in the game to do this. I mean, even in possession, I mentioned this on the five headlines too. Ancelotti in that first half tried to change something by dropping Valverde deeper to deal with Balde and Jao Felix on Barca's left wing. But Barcelona, because they were not giving the ball away in dangerous areas in the first half, they were clearing out to the wings. They were doing exactly what they were supposed to do. And then there were tactical fouls wherever they needed to be. Real Madrid had no passages of play through the central channels, right? Like, because I guess uh, Tony Cruz, they were giving him time and space on the ball, which is something antithetical to the ideas of what we have and what you should do with him. But they were doing that and it was working to good effect. And again, it just like, yeah, it just kills me that, that, that Xavi got it so right. And then the game kind of falls apart. And I do wonder, not to make an excuse, but I'll let you make the excuse. If Pedri and De Young are healthy, does Barcelona win this game? Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. (sighs) Good question. I don't know because... We even with the play, basically we play with our B squad. Let's be honest. Like Fermin, like that was, was starting a Clásico, and he did amazing. But it's Fermin Lopez. Like last year, he was playing where Linares. So we were playing with our B team, especially up top. And one thing that I thought, like Chavi at the start, really took advantage of was like there was that triangle of space, like between Vinicius, left winger, Mendy, left back, and Tony Cross, who was playing near them. So that space between all of them, I thought Fermin via Xavi and his tactical approach took advantage of it perfectly because they were finding Fermin each and every single time. And Fermin was able to literally whoop, turn around and Tony Cross couldn't do anything about it. So I thought tactically, like you said, like there's been so many times where we criticize Xavi for not getting it right from the start and then having to mid game, 
mm-hmm. trying to correct what he didn't get right from the start. And this was the complete opposite. He got it completely right from the start. But then when Ancelotti made his changes, then Xavi couldn't react to that. He couldn't counter Ancelotti's counter. So it was, I don't think, with, to go into your question, I don't know if we, if just saying Xavi, if, Xavi, if Frankie or or Pedri would have been starting in this game, we would have won. But maybe that would have meant that the players we brought in from our bench would have at least maintained the level. And maybe we would have won because of that. Because instead of bringing Uriel Romeo, you're bringing in, I don't know who was going to get left out. but I think instead of Uriel Romeo, you're bringing Frankie de Young. And instead of Rafinha or Lamine. Yeah. Oh, you mean as a sub? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then yeah, of course. Yeah, if, if that's... That's the scenario. If Pedri and Frankie were good to go for 30, 50 minutes, mm-hmm. and those are the two players coming in, I think we definitely win the game. Yep. Because it came again, came to control and ball retention. And Barcelona just, they lost, they did not have the, the number of options they needed late in that game to control the game. Um, but yeah, as, as we said before, like there were so many moments when Barcelona could have won this game. They hit, they just keep hitting the post in the last two or three weeks, like post at the post at the post, a missed penalty call, as I said, and then uh, a deflection on the winner. And to me, that's the difference in El Clasico, which is, again, a tough pill to swallow. But for those who say the sky is falling, I think you and I have done a pretty good job here with this one. I said the five, I was pretty long. My five headlines are like 25, whatever. I still have to work on them, but uh, there's like 25 minutes or whatever. So pretty long there. Added an extra almost 40 minutes here. I think that is enough on El Clasico that ended in an El Rafa. I'll give you the final word here. But as I said, I don't find the sky is falling, but I do agree that if you're sad, if it ruined your day, it ruined mine too. I agree. Losing El Clasico 2-1 with a winner like that, which is going to go down into every highlight package and every La Liga you know, video or promotional whatever, you're going to have to see that second goal and that celebration for a long time. And I hope that's enough to motivate this team to go on and come back and, and win the league after all this because it is certainly not gone. The trophies are not dead, but yes, this weekend is a bummer. For those watching on YouTube, let's look at the glass half full because I've, I always like to be that guy. We have something to look forward to, especially hopefully getting Frankie and Pedri back soon. And we played a really great game. It's just that sadly, it just didn't go in. We've been hitting the post so many times. Joao Felix, Fermin, and then Real Madrid. I don't want to say we're lucky, lucky, but they were to some extent. And it's just... Sadly, when you're a fan, it's you're going to have to have both backpacks and when you lose and, and when you win. And I know it's going to it's a long week. There's no mid midweek games to like, quote unquote, erase what happened. I know on next Saturday, we're going to have to play Real Sociedad. Oh, boy, a very, very tough game. But hey, look at if you I, I obviously obviously let's probably don't want to watch the game again. But if you're one of those crazy people that do watch the game again, I think that's going to give you a little bit more comfort in how we play, how good we played. And hopefully that's like the blueprint when, especially when we get everybody back and nobody gets, nobody else gets injured on how we should be able to, we should be able to replicate that going forward. And more often than not play that way, results will come our way and, If we play like that more often than not, we are going to be aspiring for titles. I don't know which ones, but if we do, we, we play like today and have an end product, we're going to be at the end of the season, 
aspiring for titles. So that's my motiv motivating speech for everyone. Yeah, yeah. What's sustainable, right? Jude Bellingham continuing to res rescue Real Madrid or Araujo putting Vinny Jr. in his pocket over and over and over again. The second one is the one sustainable to me. So I'm going to say that Ronald Araujo being a better defender against Vinny Jr. than Bellingham can save Real Madrid. So I think the second matchup or however many of these times, the two teams, the next time I think they could meet would be in the final of the Spanish Super Cup again. So that would be a possibility as to them meeting, but both would have to take care of business in the semifinals. So anyway, again, that is Rafael Damui, Aldamui football. You can find it in the link below, whether you're watching or whether you're listening, follow him on all of his platforms, especially if you're a Spanish speaker, that is the, 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 the mode of watching pressers and things <laughs> like that. And then come over to my five headlines on the podcast and all that. So again, follow him, follow me and keep your head up. This is, Again, a 3-1 loss last season, and Barcelona still wound up winning the Spanish Super Cup, still wound up winning La Liga. So, yeah, never fear. There's still a lot of season left, and a lot of players left to come back for Barcelona, including maybe a certain Brazilian to arrive in January. And that might help with some of that pressing and some of those questions as well. So, again, that'll wrap that one up. Again, follow him everywhere, follow me everywhere. And as always, until next time, Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.